0: Welcome to the Marketing Agility Podcast, where we discuss all things related to the growing field of Agile Marketing. This podcast is co-produced by Frank Days and the Agile Marketing Alliance so that we can learn, share, and grow together. I'm Melissa Reeve, and I'm joined today by an esteemed group of marketers to chat about artificial intelligence in marketing. Paul Aceto is the retired Chief of Marketing Officer of 3M and currently an active board member of several nonprofits. He's also an adjunct faculty at the Kelly School of Business at Indiana University and the University of St. Catherine. He's also an active entrepreneur. Paul, you've got a lot going on. <laughs> also joining us is Samantha Darty, a digital transformation leader at Microsoft, and Sarah Smith-Robbins, Director of Learning Technologies at the Kelly School of Business at Indiana University. I'm so excited we're all here today and we have such a great panel. Welcome to the show.
1: It's great Thanks. to be here.
0: Thank you. So in this episode, we'll be talking about a topic that's on every marketer's mind, the emerging field of artificial intelligence and generative AI. So let's just dive in. And we've got, you know, I've referenced that this is an esteemed panel. I've given a brief introduction, but I'd love to go around and just hear from yourselves. And if you can just say a little bit about your role, say how AI is currently impacting you in your day-to-day professional life. Sarah, why don't we start with you?
2: Sure. So I'm kind of a blend between a marketer, a technologist, and an instructor. And so AI impacts me in lots of different ways. Primarily, I'm concerned with idea generation using AI, how it may allow for efficiencies in routine marketing tasks. And of course, I'm also interested in how it's going to impact the future roles that our students will have once they graduate and become marketers themselves.
3: Great. Thanks for that. Uh, Samantha, how about you? As a director of tech strategy at Microsoft, I work with enterprises day in and day out with this technology. I've had a background in data and AI, so I'm probably approaching it from more of the technology standpoint than the marketing standpoint, but really trying to help organizations understand the technology better and how to make use of generative AI to potentially create better business outcomes.
0: Well, I think the the technology side is important, and as we, we all know, even though AI is the Hot topic du jour. It's been around for a while. Paul, how are how is it impacting you day to day? What are you seeing?
1: Well, as you just mentioned, Melissa, it's it's not something new, although it has popped into the the global consciousness in a very big and significant way in the last six to twelve months. I have been scouting AI for many many years. My eye is towards efficiency and the impact on cost cash and growth, particularly in terms of marketing productivity. And I think there's tremendous opportunity here, and I'm sure we'll get into some of the risks that are involved.
0: So although it feels like AI is, is just coming on the scene, like we discussed, we know that it's been around for years. Samantha, you've been in technology a long time. What is your perspective? Yeah,
3: Artificial intelligence AI has been uh, around for a lot of decades, right? So some of the earliest work was in the 50s and 60s when researchers really first began exploring the possibility of creating machines that could think like humans. And then in the 90s and 2000s, the AI research continued to evolve and subfields emerged. That's where you started hearing about machine learning and deep learning, really thinking about the way that they were focusing on algorithms that allow. In the 90s and 2000s, research continued to evolve and new subfields began to emerge. One of those was machine learning, which focuses on creating those algorithms that computers learn from data without being explicitly programmed. Another was neural networks, which are mathematical models inspired by the structure and function of the human brain. And then recently, generative models like D3 and DALI and many more have risen and continue to advance this field of AI. These models are able to generate new examples, hence the generative aspect of the name, that that are similar to examples from a given data set. And it's been used across fields, you know, all over. And overall, it's a long way since it's such.
0: Yeah, and I feel like it's been just underneath the hood of a lot of technology that it just hasn't gotten a lot of attention. You know, it hasn't been in in the public domain. Paul, what's your, your perspective? Yeah, you've got some fun stories about AI and and its history in your life.
1: Thanks, Melissa. The the uh, whole field is is just fascinating. You know, listening to Samantha describe that is is the reason we're all so energized around this. When I first heard about AI, I you know subscribed to AI magazine. I did some research. I even t- tried my hand at coding some AI. It was 1984. So I've been scouting this for, for decades and waiting for the moment when it breaks onto the scene and can can be used. This is something that, uh, as you know, we're all experienced with already. Anyone who's been on either end of a chat bot or self-driving car, AI is, is creeping into our lives in, in many, many different ways. But I think that if you look at some of the reporting by McKinsey and Company and others, they're predicting the you know pick your trillion right it's one trillion two trillion fourteen trillion the The size and the impact on of global economy is going to be huge, but anyone who's had those experiences know that it's not quite ready for prime time yet. There are still some issues, and you know it'll be interesting to see the speed at which it it evolves so it's important that we get together as marketers, particularly in the context of Agile, because I think Agile is the perfect perfect methodology for helping to deploy and govern the, the the tools that we're we're seeing come on from AI.
0: Well, Paul, you you've set me up very nicely there. This is the Agile Marketing or the Marketing Agility Podcast. And so I'd like to to shift a little bit into marketing. Sarah, what do you see as some of the gains from AI for marketers?
2: It's interesting because as we talk more about like the generative side rather than the machine learning side, we have things that are much more at the fingertips of the average marketer rather than somebody who does more of the development and programming to get those insights. So as we start to see these new tools that have been so popular lately and so Um, in the news and on the tip of everybody's tongue, we're actually starting to see it mature and actually become useful really quickly. So the things that we're really excited about as I talk to students who are going out and doing internships, but also trying to start their own businesses, and we talk to companies that come to the university to get those students in to recruit and to inform us about where those careers are going, the things that seem to come up most often are the efficiencies and mock-ups, just being able to mock-up ideas quickly to collaborate over something that you created 80% with AI and then you refine as a team. So a lot of that kind of grunt work or routine work is removed. We're also seeing bigger groups of qualitative data being quickly analyzed by AI, so that you can generate customer profiles and communicate with them more effectively. And um, if it's done well, that's going to be great and it's going to be really exciting. If it's done poorly, then it's just going to be a more personalized robot that we can ignore pretty easily. So we'll see where that goes. Um, And I think one of the areas that my students are really excited about and the companies that the school works with seem to be really excited about is being able to quickly create content that feels like it came from somebody you know, and that we know that that kind of marketing is really effective, but we can't be friends with every single potential consumer. So having a tool that allows us to do that at scale while being somewhat realistic with it without being creepy, it's going to be really interesting to see.
0: Yeah. It, you know, the agile marketing Alliance is is a small organization and, So as these AI tools have come online, you mentioned the productivity and we have felt that viscerally, you know, it's whether it's being able to produce a video in the fraction of the time that it used to take, you know, I don't, I don't know a ton about video and video scripting and motion graphics. And so to be able to put a blog post into one of these generative video tools and have that tool just auto generate simplified script some B-roll clips, auto generates some b roll clips you know auto generate a suggested music track and do it you know produce a 2 to 3 minute video that i just have to tweak wow that is a huge productivity you know savings and then multiply that across everything that we do right so we do these monthly challenges and sometimes it's just you know It's a start for what kind of articles should we write this month? You know, hey, can we can we generate a start of a podcast script? You know, there's a great I don't know if any of you listen to uh, Planet Money, but they did a three part series on generating their podcast episode using entirely AI. So you know, there's just we're just at the tip of the iceberg in in doing this, and I think marketers need to be exploring. Recognizing that it's not the full solution, but it's it's a starting point. So, Paul, you're you're nodding our heads. We're on video here, even though we're in the virtual studio. What's your point of view on this?
1: It's going to be used to get you started at first, and of course, this is going to accelerate in a fashion that is beyond what we've expected from technology pacing, because it's it's, it's self it's self preserving and self feeding. So. so it's going to develop very quickly into something that is useful but when you talk to copywriters and ad agencies and strategic planners and um, uh, you know bloggers get them the first 20 30% it's it's nothing that can be you know really finished product you still need the human uh, inter- intervention and frankly you don't you don't want to do that i think it was in, in mid march that the USPTO said, look, if it, something is created, ChatGPT or, or by one of these uh, large language models, it can't be copyrighted. You can't own it because only a human can create original copyrightable material. So, you know, we've got a long way to go, but it's going to come faster than anyone expects. And, you know, it's interesting, particularly for Sarah and I, is the way academia has reacted in kind of a knee-jerk fashion starting back, I think it was, it was on not you know, winter break when when this came onto the scene and caught most higher education institutions flat-footed, and they reacted in a, in a way where, of course, you do need to start with some kind of framework and governance. But at the same time, I'm sure Sarah's doing the same thing. I'm encouraging students to to experiment with it. They're not going to be able to avoid it in their in their careers. So I think that it's incumbent upon us as as Professors to to make sure that they are comfortable with it, know how to use it, and know some of the uh, the parameters and risks associated with with these tools.
2: Sorry, it would be like telling your students or even your employees not to use a calculator because it's cheating, right? Why wouldn't you take advantage of the efficiency that these tools can give you? But you have to know how to use it.
0: Well, you do have to know how to use it, and you know, in some ways, Paul, you mentioned the risk, which. You know, I think there's a lot left to be sorted through. And in some ways it feels a little bit like the Wild West. Samantha, what are some of the things from your point of view that we need to be considering?
3: Sure. And I think I think you mentioned it. It does feel like the Wild West. Melissa, you mentioned it, and then Sarah, you alluded to it in some of your, you know, answers earlier too. It just people haven't seen it. It hasn't been on the forefront. It's been hidden under the covers in technology. And now it's much more on the forefront and people have access to it and they can use it. So it's becoming part of the everyday conversation. And so when you're starting to learn about something that might be relatively new, if you haven't been a technologist or, you know, Paul in the eighties becoming an AI guru, I think it's, it's new and something that's new. And maybe that you don't understand as well, can seem a little scary and make it feel wild west. So I think I think that's where some of the, the thought process is. But if I were to kind of pile on top of that and to not fear monger in any way, but I do think that we have to consider Paul, you already mentioned copyright issues, so I won't won't mention that. But I know keeping the hum, the human in the loop, the feedback loop, right? As thinking about that is just what it is. You've got to keep the human in the loop. And, as we do that and understand more, I think that's where we'll be able to track and make sure that it's behaving. those large language models are behaving as we think that they should be.
0: yeah, and Sarah, you've been spending some time thinking about the wild west as well what are What are some of your thoughts?
3: well
2: it's fascinating that because this has become sort of consumer use technologies a lot of people are using them to create a lot of content, right? And most of these large language models depend on the data set that is the internet, right? So they're scraping Reddit and Facebook and Wikipedia and every place else where humans are creating content to inform themselves and to grow those language models. But because so many people are using them to create AI-generated content, those language models are now scraping their own content. So as they grow and become more current, they're also ingesting, they're kind of cannibalizing their own content, which if it happens too much, will actually degrade the quality of the language models. And so they'll, they'll be learning from bad content that is created by other AI, right? And if you want to see an example of this, just look at Adobe Stock. Because wow, in, in about 60 days is all it took for Adobe Stock to be full of AI-generated content that was created with Adobe Firefly and the overall quality of the stock images have just gone down. And now Firefly is learning from its own images to create new images and the quality of the tool has gone down. So it'll be interesting to see how organizations and companies behind these models learn to detect their own content to prevent that cannibalization and keep the quality up.
0: Yeah, it's a great, that's- it's a great point because they don't these language these large AI models don't necessarily ingest the final product where a where humans have actually touched it. You know they've just right. they're just touching and learning from what they generate, which is interesting. Yeah,
2: and as Paul referred to earlier, in academia we had a knee jerk reaction to want to detect and prevent AI generated content coming in as student assignments, which I never thought would ever be possible. But now I kind of have a glimmer that maybe. The companies like ChatGPT may be the ones to actually build that because they need to detect it so they don't ingest it into their models. So maybe they will learn how to detect their own content.
0: Yeah, Paul, you're nodding your head. What are your thoughts on that?
2: No, I think
1: <clears throat> I think these are extraordinarily uh, relevant points. You know, as these models learn, they're going to need to know how to unlearn and unsee some of these things because there will be copyright infringements. There will be bad data, there will be disinformation, and there's legal peril, which will be involved. And, and you can't have this information stay out there. And, you know, the knee-jerk reaction was quite, you know, expected and, and normal. But again, the with the benefit of experience, what what I've seen happen as this thing evolves, you know, these models, just to bring it back into the seasoned trained marketers comfort zone a little bit these models are based on things like cluster analysis and discriminant analysis and 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 multiple regression these are not foreign algorithms some of these are algorithms that were invented hundreds of years ago and and these are these are just because of advances in computing power in storage in data and and uh, moving down the cost curve these things can be done very very fast and if you think back to how the data analytics practices in marketing have evolved from i can remember when if you wanted to do a conjoint analysis you had to write the code okay and then you got things like sawtooth and other other programs that you could use and i thought well there goes my skill set you know now anybody can do a conjoint and i would warn of the of the dangers of of a conjoint or a multi multivariate statistical tool in the hands of somebody who really didn't understand the data behind it and of course you get outside the relevant range of a regression and the tool probably won't work now imagine that in the hands of everybody everybody's going to be pushing it outside the relevant range and you know what could possibly go wrong well there's a lot that could go wrong, and and I think that's what we're going to see, and I think that's what we're seeing already. But I think that's one area that, that marketers should take comfort in is that none of this stuff is is unfamiliar with them. You know, this tech revolution and, frankly, these generations coming into the workforce have a habit of of rebranding everything. You know, marketing research is now marketing insights, and I could go down the list. You know, statistics is now data analytics. That's all great, but it's doesn't help. Uh, it doesn't help with the change leadership that that it is necessary. I think it's this is just faster, better, and hopefully higher quality of the deployment of these tools. And again, marketing is going to be right at the center of the discussion.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's faster. It's better you know there'll be more of it and i'm i'm just curious what some of the the unintended consequences of that might be and i don't i don't know that we have the answers but i think for me that's the shadow even as as i am creating enjoying creating videos in a short amount of time with the assistance of ai what is the unintended consequence of that you know do we have tens of thousands millions more videos and then that becomes a flooded channel that nobody can navigate you know, biases of, of models. You know, there's only certain people that all the marketers are now dominating the, the channels. And so you've got a marketing skew. How, you know, how do we start to determine these unintended consequences? And hopefully my fingers are crossed. There are people thinking about this. So Samantha, you're at Microsoft. <laughs> you know, I know that Microsoft is not new to AI and has been thinking about it for a long, long time. Talk to us a little bit about those considerations when you're dealing with AI in a large public organization.
3: I think to that point, just we think about the responsibility of it, knowing that when you have AI, you need to have responsible AI. So we have, you know, guiding principles and a framework of all of the products and services that we offer as Microsoft. But then also we have the same type of framework available to any of our customers that we're working with that use our products as they're creating their own products. So I think it's a framework to ground in the way that you're wanting those models to work on your behalf. And I think what we're seeing really in large-scale organizations is uh, no one wants to be in the news in a bad way, right? I know some people say, and this is marketing, right? Like all all news is good news or you know all publicity is good publicity. But I think especially in this space, companies and organizations don't want to seem like they're, they're not embracing it. But at the same time, they don't want to turn it loose to maybe forward-facing consumer areas. So I've seen a lot of internal focused use cases in the way that they're doing it to kind of understand the technology, understand how it works, how people interact, and some of those nuances. I've even seen, you know, companies and enterprises kind of create their own terms and conditions around it of thinking about like, don't put in our intellectual property. We're not, you know, like, don't even, you know, don't provide those. Don't try to do, even though it might help you do a performance review. Please stay away from, you know, putting in information to to help you write your performance reviews. Some things around that. So I think it's a, when there's not a lot of governance, you're seeing like both spectrums of governance um, that can happen. The Wild West or completely locked down. And I think everyone's trying to just find the perfect balance that makes sense right now because we're all learning. It's everything's alpha. There's not a, not a beta.
0: Everything's still alpha. I love it. So Paul, I, you know, you also have this background from a large public organization. What are your thoughts around governance?
1: Got some very specific ideas about CMOs in particular, how they should do it. And you know what? What I am doing is is what I would recommend uh, that CMOs do. First of all, get 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 into the learning. There, you know, listen to podcasts like, like the digital uh, the the Marketing Alliance podcast and the Marketing AI podcast. Get a reverse mentor. Find who the enthusiast in your organization is around AI tools and marketing, and spend time with that person. When when I say reverse mentor, of course it's. All mentoring is two ways, and that's the that's the great secret of, and benefit of mentoring. And then if you don't have a governance uh, team in place, this is critical. And that governance team needs to have shared leadership between IT and marketing. That's very hard for marketing sometimes, and that may even involve seeding budget to one organization or the other. If you don't have the governance in place, we saw this happen, of course, with the MarTech stack. Everybody in the organization is out buying tools, and pretty soon you have a uh, you have a sprawl, if you will, of, of, of tools use, and then it becomes a competition as to you know which organization gets uh, which of their their favorite tools. But the organization needs to be aligned. You need to have principles in place, which I assume most organizations already have. These these are principles about do no harm and, and compliance and delivering and first-time quality. And, and there's probably specific things depending on the industry. And then, and you'll like this one, Melissa, if you haven't deployed Agile, you have to deploy Agile. Agile is the only way to keep pace with, with what's going on. And the Agile teams, because they self-govern and because they work in these sprints where there's multiple sets of eyes and in they're intense and intense efforts, they can deploy that governance faster and provide feedback loops. And it's it's the only way that you're going to keep pace with this. Remember, this is a change that's going to happen in marketing that's faster than anything we've seen. And we thought we that digital transformation was was very, very quick. And then, you know, take the meetings from the vendors, take the meetings from the consultants. We have a saying that I like, uh, do it while you can, not when you must, don't have to play catch up with 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 these trends, don't get caught flat footed. I'm sure every CMO is being tapped on the shoulder by the CEO saying, what are you doing here? And, you know, don't over promise. I would uh, really, really void making headcount cuts and say, well, we don't need copywriters anymore. We don't need we don't need content developers because this is all going to be machine generated. You will seriously regret it. This is a a wonderful opportunity to enrich the roles of these marketers by letting them do what they were trained to do as opposed to the the routine and mundane tasks, which you can't. It's 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 the same as every productivity revolution that that's happened since the introduction of the Microsoft Office tools, right? You, you just, you, I always say, you cut off the bottom of the pyramid of the workload and give that to the machine. And it allows you to spend more time at the top of the pyramid.
0: That's a great visual. Yeah, it reminds me, as you were talking, I was thinking about the Gartner hype cycle. And, you know, there is a hype cycle. And we, you know, we are in the middle of the hype. We can already feel that people dove in you know, you talk about the knee-jerk reaction of academia. You talk about you know the marketers just diving in and and exploring it, which is all good. And we're already coming up against the limitations of AI. So we, you know, it's not going to take over the world tomorrow. Let's take a collective breath. Let's not overpromise. I love what you said. And then you're absolutely right. Love what you said about agile. And it's it's not so much about agile as it is about what Agile can enable. And from my point of view, it enables what you said, which is a system of change. So the systems of change that we have in many organizations look like top-down, and they're too slow. You know, it's too slow for a small group of people at the top to decide what the rules are, to decide what's right for everybody, decide how to implement. What we need are those guardrails. So this isn't, you know, fast and loose, but enough guardrails to keep people knowing where the playground, boundaries of the playground are, and then a system of change where people can react quickly to their local context, where they can experiment, where they can implement and innovate and keep up with that speed of change. And I feel like that's the role that Agile can play when it's in the intersection of Marketing and AI,
2: yeah. Because the I, I, change isn't going to happen once; it's going to continually happen. So, having teams who can continually react and not just react once and be done, I think is going to be imperative.
1: And those teams are closest to the customer, the client, the consumer. I used to love when we first deployed Agile at two big companies that I worked for, where I come in say, "Well, you know, I was with a customer yesterday and." I used to respond, you were with 10,000 customers yesterday.
0: That's an awesome Because line. we were
1: doing experiments online.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and it's moving the customer from, from theory to reality. And we could have a whole nother podcast on that and customer centricity. But I, I love the line, you know, you were with 10,000 customers yesterday. So let's leave our listeners as we wrap up here with a couple of AI tools or resources that they can check out. Sarah, what's one that you can recommend?
2: Well, I think one of the biggest challenges of all this is how quickly it's changing and it's so difficult to keep up with. So the resource that I would like to recommend is actually an old school newsletter via email called AI Brews. It comes out once a week. I've subscribed to it since it started and I find every single one useful. It's a great combination of quick updates from the industry of AI and the technology along with a few new tool recommendations and a short list of places you can learn learn new code or learn how to deploy a new technique and it's it's just fascinating and it helps me stay up to speed.
0: Love it. I'm going to am going to sign up after we're done recording here. <laughs> Samantha, how about you?
3: Yeah, I would I would obviously, I'm Microsoft and I think we've got a lot of great content out there available. So on our Microsoft Learns site I think I would want people to take a look at the the overview we have of our responsible AI practices for our Azure OpenAI models and what we're doing. There's a lot of information out there. But if I just had to pick one thing to kind of get them in the library and looking around, it would be that article, that information. Then obviously branch out from there, but it's a resource available to everyone.
0: I love it. And it sounds like there's a lot more there and you just picked out that one. Mm-hmm. Paul, how about yes. you? What are, where are you turning these days?
1: Well, I'm turning a lot to to the reverse mentoring model. Don't don't underrepresent the liberal arts majors in your on your teams. I love the way that uh, English majors and and uh, and others are are trained to think about things, and that's what you need right now. Is you need people who who, who challenge uh, the, the conventional wisdom and and really really think through what these consequences are and you want to deploy this for good. Everybody wants to deploy this for good. And so I think really listen to your teams and at the same time, the second, the second piece of advice is, is build out on your existing MarTech stack. You know, there's going to be a lot of incoming new products, I wouldn't that's not a dimension. I always say when you when you do diversification, don't change in multiple dimensions at once, change in one dimension at a time. and I think that thats that's why I would stay with the existing stack and see what the ecosystem looks like around that.
0: So a year from now, Paul, where do you think we'll be relative to AI and marketing?
1: Well, not not to give an unfair plug to to Microsoft, but the uh, the Microsoft three sixty five implementation. Is, is going to change the way you work. Everyone listening, I'm sure, is too young to remember when Microsoft Office was first deployed. But I can tell you the impact on productivity for, uh, for information workers was astonishing. And I can remember embracing that very early in my career, and it made a big difference because I could do that, which is one of the reasons I'm, I'm here today, is to, is to stay relevant. I need to have these tools at my command and i think in a year from now it'll be very very well understood some of the big fears you know you go between mark Andreessen and, and yudkowski who who thinks it's going to end human civilization but you know it, it it's 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 never as bad as you think it can be it's never as good as you think it can be either but i think that that's where we'll be i think we will be comfortable with it We'll have an understanding of it, and we'll have lots and lots of stories of of epic fails of of the deployment, which will reassure everybody that it's not coming after us anytime soon.
0: Sarah, what's your point of view?
2: I think in a year, we're going to see some new superstars who emerge as question askers, people who understand the potential of these models because they understand the kinds of things that they can tell us. So- Paul touted the the English majors and as a former English major, (laughs) I appreciate that. I think we're going to see a new crew of critical thinkers who really become superstars and understand how to get the most out of these new models because they know what questions we can ask.
0: Some powerful questions. And Samantha, you've probably been the closest, the longest out of all of us, at least from a technical perspective. What's your, what are you seeing a year from now?
3: I really would prefer to echo what Paul and Sarah shared. I mean, that's my line of thinking of that. We'll, we'll see it a little more broadly adopted. We'll be more comfortable with it. I know we're working it in as a, as a co-pilot, right. As a way to assist you in your daily life and take some of those tasks away that you may not want. And so I would hope in a year, That it has worked its way into daily lives and in a way that people are comfortable with and that provides them convenience and so much convenience that it doesn't scare them to use it. So I think that's where brands and and usage would be. But I would also echo, I think, people who understand language well, like those English majors, for example, can be some of those best prompt engineers, right? Of thinking about how to be concise in the way they articulate what they're asking of the model and to get responses back in a way that, um, a way that makes that beneficial and efficient for a process versus, you know, maybe two or three iterations they could do it in the, the first iteration. So I echo a little bit of what Paul and Sarah said. I realize that's not an original thought, but I think if anything it hopefully it just echoes what they're already saying
0: for sure and i feel like if i were to synthesize it all it's further down the hype cycle you know the the thought that it's going to take over the world has has mellowed out a little bit and it's starting to normalize so i really appreciate everybody showing up to the panel today you guys have sh- shared some amazing insights and stories thanks for being here and sharing your perspective
1: Thank Thank you, you, Melissa.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. And thanks for listening to our show today.